Thank you. I love you too. Um, I am embarrassed. Thank you. Uh, you know, I, I don't even know what to say other than just to say, you know, when I came here, there was really already a really good team of people in place. And it is my honor and my privilege that God allowed us to be able to come here and uh, to begin to provide some additional leadership and direction. Uh, I mean, for example, this morning, I wasn't the primary worship leader. I strictly played guitar and sang a little harmony, and, and things were great, you know. So uh, we have a great team, and I want to, yeah. I want to honor them and thank them for their sacrifice. Um, you know, I don't know if you're aware, but there are very few ministries in the church that give more of their time than the worship team. Uh, they're here every Thursday night to practice, and you can ask them. I keep them late. I'm a slave driver when it comes to how I want things to sound. Um, and so they come faithfully every week, and they, they give their time, and they are here early on Sunday morning, and then they play for both services, uh, and they don't complain about it. They love it. They serve this church, and they serve the Lord with the talents that he's given them without any pay. Uh, they do it because they love this place, and I am so grateful for, uh, for folks like that who are a part of our team, and that I get to lead people who love what they do. And thank you, guys. I don't thank you enough, but thank you, uh, worship team. Um, and then secondly, um, I'm going to be like Mel today. Uh, I'll be putting my finger up a lot and asking you to wait on me. Uh, but I am so thankful, too, that God, God called us here. Um, you know, we were serving a great church in Gardner, Kansas, and so uh, if any of my New Life people are watching the live stream today, how you doing? I love you. We miss you guys. Um, but we were serving a great church in Gardner, Kansas, um, and really had no intention of ever leaving there. Uh, my wife and I on more than one occasion would have conversations that went something like this. We want our kids to graduate high school here. We want them to be under the youth pastor and the leadership of the youth team here. We want we want to be here for a long, long time. And, and that was our heart, and that was our intention. Um, and I'm so glad that God knows better than us. Um, we love the summit. And um, thank you. And I'm so glad that God called us here. It's, I'm honored to work for and with Pastor Mel. Um, you know, I've, I've worked in places where it felt more like you had a boss. And I feel much more like I have a partner in ministry here. And I really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, all right. So um, there's a lot more to that story. And I don't have time to tell all of it if we're going to get to today's messages. So uh, I, we're going to be wrapping up our rewilding series. And, uh, you know, I'm the worship guy. So the only thing that I can preach about is worship, right? So I'm just kidding, Mel. Uh, actually apologized to me earlier this week for pigeonholing me into that. But there is nothing I would rather preach about than this topic. It is dear to my heart. And so when I use the phrase rewilding worship, immediately some of you get really nervous when the words wild and worship are in the same sentence. Uh, and others of you get very excited when I say those two words together. And I would say to you that both of those are probably valid responses. 
Um, if you're anything like me, I grew up in Pentecost, and um, I saw a lot of wild worship, uh, some of which was decent and in order and absolutely appropriate, and some of which I just never understood why. You know, I, is, can I be honest? Uh, and for others of you, you grew up in an environment where anything that even, like, if someone did this in your church, it was a problem. You know, like the ushers came and took them out. If Mel was the pastor, they would have gotten tased. Um, so, so there's a there's a real kind of gamut of responses to this idea of rewilding worship. Uh, I want to set you at ease this morning and tell you that I'm not going to ask anybody to you know cluck like a chicken or bark like a dog or any of that kind of silliness. But what is true of Scripture is that there are some things that God has prescribed for us about what worship should look like, about what it means to respond to the awesomeness of God, what it means to give to God what He is worthy of. And so I want to look at some of that this morning, what that might mean for us as a community. And let me just stop for a second and clarify that today I'm going to be speaking specifically in regard to what we do here in this room, gathered worship, corporate worship, worshiping together as a community, about the songs that we sing and the stories that we share and and all of those types of things that we do when we come together in this room as a body. Uh, And the reason I want to clarify that is because there's been a lot said over the last several years about this idea of worship as a lifestyle, that worship is life. And, and that is absolutely true. In fact, I would say to you that this entire series, this entire rewilding series, and indeed all of the Christian life really can be boiled down to this idea of worship. And that's because worship what it means, if you go back to the very idea of the word itself, it, it's derived from an old Anglo-Saxon word that means worthship. To give what is worthy. To give worth, to give value, to give weight to something. And so everything in our lives should be about that one thing, about giving weight giving value, ascribing worth to God, and living in ways that display that truth, right? So if you think about the series that we've been in over the past four weeks now, setting aside a day of rest, a Sabbath, which Pastor Mel talked about in the first week of the series, right? That's an act of worship. You're saying, God, I'm going to take a day, and I'm going to set everything else aside, and that day is going to be focused on spending time in your presence. That day is going to be focused on resting in you. That day is going to be focused on recognizing that all of my activity for the rest of the week is in vain and it is worthless if you are not blessing it and if I am not in communion with you and if I am not in right standing with you, if I am not in tune with what you are doing and where you are calling me to go, what you're asking me to do, everything else, God, is moot And so I'm going to set all of that aside and say, God, you are worthy of this day. It's worship. Prayer. 
Prayer is a discipline in which we seek to communicate with God, right? We talk with Him. We share our lives with Him. And we endeavor to share in His life and in the life that He is giving to us. We take our needs to Him. We communicate our love to Him. It's an act of worship, right? It ascribes worth to God. Fasting, we talked about last week. Fasting is about denying the needs of the physical body and the desires of the physical body so that I might attend to the deepest need that I have, which is to know God, right? So, so fasting is an act of worship. It is an, indicates something of God's worth to you. So yes, worship is a lifestyle. And we, we can't ever lose sight of that. In fact, all of our lives as Christians should be centered on and focused on that one theme, bringing honor and glory to the name of Jesus. It should be, God, let me worship you in the way that I go about my business. Let me worship you in the way that I interact with other people. Let me worship you in the way that I handle my finances. Let me worship you in the way that I parent. Let me worship you in the way that I lead. Let me worship you in the way that I follow. Let me worship you. Let me honor you, Jesus. Let there be worth and value given to you, to your word, to what you have prescribed that life should be. Let it be everything that I am. And and we could spend a lot of time there. Um, but my, my purpose today is to talk to us about what we do in this room. Uh, so let's open the Bible together, okay? Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. This is a, a scripture that Jesus quotes. Jesus is asked a question about what is the greatest commandment. And this is Jesus' response. He says, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, it says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now you may be saying, okay, um, what's that have to do with singing in this room? What's that have to do with sharing our stories together? It's simply this. Worship is about what we love. Worship is about what we love, what we value. Right? It's about giving value and honor to the things that ought to receive value and honor or the one who ought to receive value and honor. And it's about learning not to worship the things that don't deserve that value and honor and weight in our lives. You see, because we're idol factories. I mean, we, we make idols out of everything. Um, we, we worship all kinds of things. And the process that God is working in us is that we lay aside those other gods and that there be no one else but Him. That we love Him. That He is chief among our affections. That everything else we would be willing to lay aside. Let me, before we go on, let me just say this. Find your deepest fear. Find that one thing that you say... If I had to live without that, I don't know if I could go on. You find that thing, and if it's anything other than Jesus, you found your functional Savior. 
you found what your hope and your trust and your value and your worth really is in. Um, that, that really wasn't in my notes, but it, there you go um, for what that's worth. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 7. So if you go to just a chapter earlier, uh, it's, worded, it's the same commandment worded a little differently. It says this, you shall have no other gods before me. These, these commandments, this commandment in particular, I mean, it's, it's number one, right? It's on the top of the Big Ten, right? It's the number one thing. He says, no other gods but me. And as I said before, it's about what we love. And even in this wording, sometimes we miss the, the real message of love that God is, is giving us in this. These, these words are marriage vows, Right? You, you stand, it, when you get married, you stand and you say, you know, forsaking all others, no one else but you. This, and so what God is saying, what God is commanding, that is, is if this relationship is going to function in the way that it ought to, if this thing is going to have the purity that it should have, if you are going to be able to engage in and receive all that this relationship entails, there can't be anybody else but me. This is an exclusive relationship. And maybe you ask yourself, why does God say that? Why does God demand that? What is it that he's trying to get at? Now, if we believe that we serve an all-knowing, all-powerful, and completely good God, and we do, amen? Okay, so if he is completely good and he says nobody but me, it's not because he has some complex that he needs us to devote all of our attention to him. In fact, the scriptures say that God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. When we come into this room, and if you raise your hands and you sing to the top of your lungs, it doesn't matter how many tears you weep or, or how, it, none of that adds any value whatsoever to God. He is complete in and of himself. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. So why then does he require this of us? Why does he say, love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Why does he say, have no other gods before me? It's because he in his infinite goodness and wisdom understands that there is nothing else in this world life, there is nothing else in the world, there is nothing else in all of eternity that can hold up under the weight of your hopes, your dreams, your failures, your sin, your, there is nothing else. Everything else will crumble. Everything else will fade away. We were created for more than this. We were created to be in relationship with God. We were created to know Him. We were created to fellowship with Him. It is only there that we find completion. It is only there that we find wholeness. It is only there that we find that thing that our soul longs for. And so God insists upon these things because he knows that it is the only place that humans can find what they were created to do and who they were created to be. Everything else is empty. And so God says to us, 
Love me with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your might. Have no other gods before me. That's why he says things like, I am jealous for you. That's why he says things like, that. just me, no one else. That's why, because of his love for us. Jesus expressed that truth like this. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46, he tells two short parables. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. I I pray and I hope with all that is within me that that has been your experience with Christ. That he is indeed that pearl of great value. That he is that treasure that you would sell everything else for. You see, because the truth of the matter is that he is so lovely. He is so beautiful. He is so amazing and wonderful that everything else fades in comparison. Everything else loses its value. Everything else is To put it like the Apostle Paul did, dung, right? I count it as refuse. I count it as loss for the sake of the gospel. Once we have seen Jesus, everything else is dull. So, again, you're probably asking yourself, what's that? all that have to do with the songs we sing? It's, it's really a little hard to express. Uh, George Steiner, um, he said this. He said, when it speaks of music, language is lame. And Thelonious Monk said, talking about music is like dancing about architecture. <laughs> so, and yet here I am today standing here to talk to you about our music, right? What we sing and why we sing it. And so let me say this. I recognize from the outset of that that Language is incomplete in its ability to express what music does. You see, here's something that I know. You will probably not remember much of what I say today. I'm okay with that. The Holy Spirit can take those nuggets that he wants to take and he does the work that he wants to do. My job is just to, to deliver. Um, but you won't remember much of what I say today, if anything. But you know what you will remember? The lyrics to every song that we sang. Why is that? It's because there's something transcendent about what music does. There's something about the melody and the combination of sounds that just sticks with us. And it, and it, it takes us somewhere, right? How many of you 
Have you ever had the experience of you're driving down the road and the radio's on and a song from high school comes on and immediately you are back in the hallway at high school, right? And you remember, like, you remember that dude's terrible haircut and you, you know, like, uh, there are times that I'll hear songs and, and it will take me to, like, I'm, you picture I'm back in, I'm like in a pep rally at school and I remember all the, you know, the band and the cheerleaders and the kids and this, you know, the, I, it, those songs just take us to those places. By the same token, there are, there are hymns that I hear that I remember singing in church as a kid. And I remember uh, feeling God's presence in a significant way during those times of worship together. So there's something transcendent about singing. There's something transcendent about music. And God created that. For, for a purpose among us. And scripture prescribes for us to do this. In fact, look at Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. Paul is writing to the church there in Colossae. And he says, uh, let the word of God, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So he starts off this verse by saying what his desire is, right? That the word of Christ should dwell in us richly. And then he goes on to prescribe the way in which that occurs. Here's how the word of Christ will dwell in you richly. So he says what? Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. So we come here every week and we open the word of God together. Pastor Mel uh, Typically, right, is Pastor Mel opening the Word of God, breaking the bread of life together with us, teaching and admonishing us on how we ought to live, what it is that, how we ought to esteem Christ. He extols the beauty and the wisdom and the knowledge of God to us. So Paul says that's one of the ways in which the Word of Christ dwells in you richly. And then he goes on to say, Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So one, the major reason, right, when you boil it all down, the reason that we sing together is because that is one of the ways in which the, the Lord, by His Holy Spirit, deposits His Word in our hearts. And that's why, can I just, not that you guys have to know my process during the week, but I, I do my very best to know what, what Pastor Mel is going to be preaching every week so that the songs that we sing hammer home that same truth from God's Word. So that those things work together. So that there is an agreement among those things. So that we as a community are singing about and remembering and thinking on and meditating on the truths of God's Word. So that His Word might dwell in us richly. So worship is about what we love, and it is about that truth dwelling in us richly. So I would say it this way to you this morning. Corporate worship is about the expression and the formation of our love for God. Now, if you're on the worship team, you probably heard some of this before. Uh, it won't hurt you to hear it again. I say this stuff to them all the time. Uh, it's about the expression and the formation of our love. There are two things that I hope happen um, 
when we come here and we sing together. One is primary, the other is, is far more secondary, but I, you know, I'll be honest and say that, that, that the second one means something to me too. Uh, the first thing that I, I pray and hope happens when we come here together and we worship the Lord together is that we leave this place knowing that we have encountered the living God and that we are forever different because of it. That is, that is my primary chief hope and desire for our times of worship together. The second one is a little more selfish. I do hope you leave here going, man, they are good. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but that's far more secondary. Um, but it, but it, it's there. I'll just be honest. It's there. So, but it's about the expression and the formation of our love. So I want to look at what the Scripture says about how we ought to express that love. And then what that forms in us, all right? So I want to talk to you just a little bit about that this morning. Some of us are naturally expressive people. I'm a pretty expressive person. I, I talk a lot with my hands. I tend to be loud. Uh, in fact, I remember as a kid, um, like, my dad said I didn't know how to whisper. Uh, I, my wife would probably agree. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, real, I'm very expressive, uh, I get excited about things. I, I, like, uh, I like to laugh. I like to, you know, I, I'm, I'm very expressive. Uh, it's, you know, I move around a lot when I'm playing my guitar or singing. And uh, it, those are just, it's just a natural response for me. That's how I'm wired. Uh, I, I just, I, it, I, I feel it in my bones. It's just there. It's just who I am. Uh, and some of you are a little more like that. You're a little more like me in that regard. You're naturally expressive people. You yell at the TV when your team is winning or losing. Uh, you do a happy dance, you know, when, when someone scores a touchdown or something good happens. You cry every time you say how happy you are to be the pastor of the Summit Church. Um <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not sorry. Um, but you spontaneously respond to what's going on around you. It's just who you are. And Scripture leaves room for that. In fact, there are lots of, of times in Scripture where the expression of worship is a spontaneous thing. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 20, Miriam grabbed a tambourine and started dancing after the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. Uh, don't tell Mel that, you might get tased. Um, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 27, the Israelites bowed their heads in worship uh, when they heard that God was going to spare their firstborn when the angel of death passed through Egypt. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 19, when God promised to be with them in the battle, the Levites stood up to praise God with a very loud voice. In Job chapter 1, verse 20, when Job lost his family, he responded by falling to the ground in worship. That's a pretty amazing response if you ask me. Uh, I don't know that worship would be my immediate response if my family was gone, tragically. Um, maybe that reveals some deficit in my heart, but I'll just be honest, that's amazing when I read that. But we'll go on. Acts chapter 3, verse 8, the lame man who was healed is said to be running and leaping and praising God. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, John falls to the ground as dead in God's presence. These are all spontaneous responses to something that's happening. And so if that's how you're wired, if that's who you are, then God's, God's great with that. 
The scripture is full of evidence of those things. And in fact, I would say that if you are that kind of person and being in God's presence doesn't elicit that type of response from you, there may be a need for you to step back and examine why that is. What is it, God, that maybe I'm reserving? What is it that I'm holding back in my response to who you are that I would naturally give in other circumstances? So all of those are spontaneous responses. I'm glad God allows for those and accepts them as appropriate, or I would be in real trouble. Um, But spontaneous physical response isn't all that the Scripture commands. Uh, The Scripture commands for us to worship God bodily. Psalm 47.1 says, Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Psalm 95, 6 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Psalm 149, 3 says, Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. Psalm 22, verse 23 says, Stand in awe of God. 1 Timothy 2, 8, I desire that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands. Revelation 4, 10, The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. So why all of this expression? Why all of this commandment? Why all of this being prescribed for us in worship? And I would go back to what I said before. It's about the expression and the formation of our love. And so if I'm going to express that I love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, by necessity, it means that my entire person is engaged in that activity. Worship is not and cannot be a passive thing. It's not a spectator sport. I said a few seconds ago, if you that I hope that you leave here going, man, that, that band is good. And I hope that you do. But if our times of singing together are primarily you watching the band and what we do, then we are failing you as worship leaders. Just be honest. We're failing you as worship leaders. Conversely, Uh, If we are giving everything that we have, and that's still your response, then there's a disconnect somewhere. Because this is about Jesus. And it's about the expression of our love for Him. And here's why we do that. Here's why we express our love. And here's why that is prescribed in all of these various ways in Scripture. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy. So he's saying, It's about what we love, right? We delight to praise what we enjoy. And I'm going to have to wrap this up really quickly. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment of it. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. So I'll try to simplify that as much as I can, and I'll say it this way. 
I tell my wife I love her, and by telling her, it makes me love her. I tell the Lord that I love him, and in telling him, it causes me to love him more. It is the expression and the formation of our love. So we go back to Colossians and to what Paul said. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So when the truths of God's word are proclaimed in our hearing, when we sing them in the songs that we sing, that truth forms us into a people made in the image of God. This is not just about a religious exercise. This is about us being made a people for God. This is about us seeing and knowing Jesus. It is about the preeminence of Jesus. It is about glorifying Jesus. It is about knowing Jesus. If it doesn't begin and end there, it's, it's worthless. And so we sing so that we might be formed as a people into the image of God. So we might be reminded of his faithfulness and our faith in him might be deepened and strengthened so that we might share together in what he is doing in us and among us so that we might glory in the cross, so that we might rejoice in the work that God is doing in the earth and that we have been called as a people to be a part of that work. And here's the incredible thing about all of that. When we come together and we sing and we lift our hands and we express our love for God and that love for Him is being formed and shaped in us, there's something, there's a third thing that kind of happens in this arena. And this, this is a theology, this is a stream that runs through all of Scripture. And that is this. That when we worship, when we express our love for God and his love for, our love for him is being shaped and formed and deepened as we are in his presence, there is a collision between God's space and ours. There is a collision between God's time and ours. There is something that happens. Our world collides. The, the, the temporal collides with the eternal. And amazing, miraculous, phenomenal things can happen in those times of worship together. When we remember God, you are my healer. There is that potential in those moments for the healer to walk into the room and to heal and to change and to mold and to shape and to renew and to restore. There are times where God, in his wisdom, those collisions take place and that thing that felt so heavy on me begins to lift. I know that God is greater than my circumstance. I am brought into that reality again of knowing that I am not alone. God is walking with me. He has not abandoned us. He is a God who is involved. He is here and he is with us. Worship reminds us of those truths because we are forgetful people. Worship team, you can go ahead and come on up. We forget. We are bombarded by the world around us. The brokenness of our world, the, the sin that has marred our world, the fallen world around us, we are bombarded by it. We are, we are, we are 
always in touch with the fact that these are finite bodies. They're frail and they're broken and they're susceptible to all sorts of things. And we are reminded of our limitations. And when we come and we extol the virtues of an infinite God, we are reminded that we are not alone. That he has called us his own and that he is fighting for us. That he is walking with us. That he is caring for us. That he has promised that he will not leave us or forsake us. He will not abandon us in the fight. And that is what worship is about. It is about that encounter with Jesus that, we're, that makes everything else fade. And I'm reminded that he is greater than my circumstance. And we find all of this coming to its culmination in the scripture in the person of Jesus. because God was not content just to sit in a heaven and leave us to our own devices. But the God of creation, the God of eternity came and he took on the form of a man and he walked among us. He loved us with all that He is. And what He asks for us in response is that we love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is worship. And that is why we sing. That is why we are here today. There is no other reason. Everything else is secondary. So we worship. We're going to sing one more song before we leave today. And I want you just to enter in with all that you have. Remember where you were and where God brought you from. And maybe you're here today and if you could just bow your heads.